Hey everyone, this is Aaron McNicholas, and this is an episode of the Awaken Indie Podcast. Hello, indie friends. Thank you for turning in to the Awaken Indie Podcast, all made possible by the amazing Georgetown Market. So thank you, Georgetown, for giving us some microphones and a closet and space to take over. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I guess I should tell you, I'm Dr. Lauren. I'm sitting here with my amazing co-host, Aaron McNicholas. And today we're going to kind of switch roles and I get to play interviewer. And you get to answer all the questions. So oh, fun. <laughs> sharing the wisdom with the world here. And that's what it's all about. So the idea of what we're trying to do here is to connect community and to build resources and relationships and to be able to bring those of us that all live around here to a, a, a better state of living, I would say. So without any further ado, we're going to get on into this. So welcome to the show, Aaron McNicholas. Thank you. Let's do it. I'm excited. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's rock it. All right. So I, we should start with you kind of telling us a little bit about who you are or a lot of it. Yeah. Um, so I work here at Georgetown Market, and I've kind of been, I guess, studying herbalism now for the past, I don't know, five years or so, um, and then most recently getting into functional medicine. So I've, I've kind of been interested in alternative health for a little bit now, and it's, it's something that I've grown more and more passionate about. Um, I started here in Indiana, so it's kind of like an herbalism practice that's near and dear to my heart here in Indiana, um, first starting with Constance Ferry. And I'm sure if you listen to my first episode, you heard me talk about her program and then Seven Songs, of course. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. We have a, a rich community here in Indiana around herbalism, um, even around functional medicine, too. And so it's it's been a fun area to kind of get involved with. So I'm happy that Georgetown Market's doing this podcast. They're getting involved and trying to spread the word about things. Yeah. And I love that you, I mean, so we both practice in the functional medicine field, but you know far more as far as like the herbalism and the plants and going into it from that background is awesome where I kind of came from supplements and I mean my family's owned Georgetown so I was stocking shelves and learning what supplements <laughs> were from an early age so now I'm kind of on the flip side of trying to be like tell me about the plants and the yeah. herbalism part is absolutely amazing and you're right like there seems to be a really great community of herbalists around here and I'm don't know a lot of them but getting to know you guys a lot yeah yeah um and that's the thing about i think the herbalist here in indiana there's a lot of great resources wherever you go if you know north south east west wherever you go there's an herbalist in that area that's doing some amazing things um and they're doing incredible things like wild crafting herbs which is a big thing and so what's wild crafting mean for people that don't yeah, know yeah yeah um so wild crafting means when you collect an herb kind of i guess in the wild you could say um it's not something that you grow in your garden you kind of go out with an intention to find it to gather it um, and when you do that it's important that you know they always tell you up to the species level of what you're gathering so you know if I go get um, let's say nettle for mm-hmm. example stinging nettle is a great herb that's used a lot of times for mineral balance it's a, our kind of one true American adaptogen here mm-hmm. um, I want to make sure that I know that plant to the species so like I know like urtica is the genus but I know, gotta know the second part, the dioca, this, the species of it, um, especially if like you're an herbalist and you're trying to sell those kind of things to people. You don't want to give someone something that could be poisonous or harmful to their health. 
And so, you know, and even in here in Indiana, there's stinging nettle, and then there's wood nettle, which is completely different genus. It's not even in the same genus. Yeah. And so, um, when you get into that, I think wild crafting is cool because if you think about us, whenever you're in your life and you're struggling through something, usually you come out of the other side of it a lot stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, plants are the same thing. You know, if they have insect damage, if they have to deal with the weather, if they have to deal with the soil and then adapt themselves to that soil and that environment, um, us to other predators harvesting them, that's stress to them. That makes them put out chemicals that are going to be more potent. So you think about the different aromatics that a plant puts out. Those get intensified when the plant has to struggle. And that's not to say that growing your own stuff is bad, but there's a difference between an herb that's in the wild versus an herb that's in a greenhouse that never had to struggle um, and get adapted to that environment. Yeah, or raise some. I know uh, I'm going to take this into the whole like CBD hemp thing for a moment because that's where a lot of people are getting more into understanding like how powerful plants can be with the big huge cbd craze that we had for a while in the boom so um not only talking about, like the different constituents of the plants which i have a far way to go in learning all of those things like you're saying like the aromatics but i think a lot of that stuff is also very controlled mm-hmm. in how it's grown yeah and we talked a little bit about this before too as far as the whole finding things locally as well versus you know hemp organically grown in Colorado awesome so what can you share as far as being an herbalist and I've heard Karen say it too like multiple people find an herbalist near you that can help yeah share some of the difference of why it's so important with the local component yeah and I think you know it's funny because Karen and I were really good friends and so we share resources back and forth all the time and we have a mutual friend named Hayden who's actually a rep for Gaia Mm -hmm. um, and some other great companies she shared a book with Karen called The Business of Botanicals. Um, I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but it's a great read. I'm only partway through it, um, but already I'm strongly influenced by it because in the book they talk a lot about, you know, a lot of herbal companies mm-hmm. or the industry. And this is not something that's new per se. It's been around for a while. They describe the process of gathering large amounts of herbs and then sitting in these warehouses, even in the, you know, the middle of the 1900s. And they have just these roots stacked on top of each other all the way up to the ceiling, but they're sitting around. There's no, like, authentication. There's no verification. Sometimes they're just gathered from different places. You don't know if they're, you know, endangered, what the quality is. And so things have gotten better, of course. That's good. Yes. (laughs) Um, There's people who go more into standardization, but it's still kind of like the Wild West in a way. And, you know, when you get something from a company... In the book, they talk a lot about times it might go sit for months and months and months, if not a year, and then it's shipped overseas, usually like Germany is a big processing area, and it's shipped over there, it's processed over there through a metal machine that's chopping it up into pieces, and then it's processed, shipped back over here, and who knows how long it stays in a plastic bottle as a capsule. So, you know, not to get too woo-woo about things. But to me personally, if something sits that long and there's like not a human interaction component, is it really alive? Is there a spiritual presence? Is there an energetic to it? And you know, that's a lot different than like a local herbalist or even yourself going out into the woods and getting that yourself. You know, you feel that connection knowing, oh wow, this is nettle. It grows in this environment around this place. And I feel its healing properties when I go take it home and drink it as a tea. Um, I think we've really got disconnected and we want to get into like this, oh, 
supplement in a bottle kind of thing mm-hmm. um, when in fact you know it's got to kind of be part of the daily life and we used to do that we used to go out and we used to harvest things so we're all descended from foragers mm-hmm. you know that was part of our history at one point you mean there wasn't walmart back in the day <sighs> unfortunately no <laughs> if there was it's called something else yeah. <laughs> um it was called your local herbalist probably yeah. instead of walmart yep and so i think we need to get back into that and you know you don't have to be a pro right now about identifying plants i definitely wasn't and definitely am not you know i'm still learning myself um, but if you can begin being like, oh yeah, that's mint that grows in my garden. Mm-hmm. I know that mint's great for my digestion. Let me start putting that into some teas or salads yeah. to help that. You know, that's a great way to just start. Yeah. And it's, I, so I'm a huge mint fan and, uh, the last couple of years I've harvested it and dried it and shared it with people. And I've had multiple people that were like, man, your mint is so much stronger than if you buy it, like in the tea bags. And I'm like, well, I didn't think about it. But I'm like, that makes total sense because it's actually freshly harvested i mean yeah it's dried for a few months if you're having it in the winter but yeah there's a noticeable difference than if it's bagged up and sat in a box and not that that's awful i mean it's still a step in a better direction but i mean fresh is so much different oh yeah people will tell me all the time it's like they'll have you know tea at home and they're like oh i just love the way that you make tea and in my head i'm like I didn't do anything special, <laughs> you know. I maybe like had an idea, like, oh, this herb with this, and it has kind of like they call them cringents, flavoring herbs. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I want some a little bit of this in there, um, but it's it just tastes better because it's You're alive. Like an herbal bartender. I know. Well, that's a whole new industry that's kind of up right now. That's awesome. No, We're no. gonna pitch that into Georgetown Market. If you're interested, let us know. <laughs> <laughs> it is a whole thing. There's actually I visited a cool place called Scratch in Illinois. Mm-hmm. They're making all these herbal beers from all the stuff that they forage in the property that they have. They grow some stuff. They grow hops. Um, That's awesome. So I think it's a real you know, area for that. Yeah. Well, and maybe it won't take the terrible toll on the liver if you're actually, like, having medicinal-type tonics with it. Like, we found some with Tulsi, and I'm like, maybe it's not horrible if it's medicine. Well, no, and you even think about, like, um, distillation is a lot different than what it was. You know, we distill now using, like, things like GMO corn and other things to make alcohol. Um, GMO grains that have a lot of yeast added to them. You know, we used to make herbal alcohols as things that people would take when you entered their home. They're called spirits because they'd keep the spirits away that you might come in with it. And so they would be distilled from things like juniper berries, which is that we got gin. Um, That's awesome. So I think there's a real need to kind of get back to that. Like we can make alcohol in these things with wild yeast too. Like juniper berries have those flushes of wild yeast on it. Same with, you know, any wild plant or berry or even honey they might make, make meads out of that has wild yeast in it and so you can easily ferment stuff that's incredible that's inc- i never even thought about any of that of how the alcohol is actually like the difference of how it originally started mm-hmm. to what we've done to it now yeah it's changed a lot and because you know all of the like, eclectic physicians and the old um, you think about like the old pharmacy bottles and stuff like that, the glass bottles dr quinn medicine woman days uh, oh yeah yeah <laughs> Well, they're they're all alcohol based, you know, and that's why we have alcohol tinctures still to this day because that was a methodology that was used. Yeah, that's awesome. You make your own alcohol. I want to. Yeah. I thought I heard you yeah. guys talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, it'd be something cool to go and go into. That'd be great. Yeah. Okay, so obviously you do. You've how long have you been playing with plants? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's actually weird. Um, I've talked about this before. I didn't come across herbalism intentionally. It's not something that I was like, oh, yeah, let's go do this. I found you. It, it did. <laughs> and I remember graduating 
um, from college, and I was very frustrated with the form of healthcare that I was taught. Mm-hmm. And I wanted after that to get another certification because I felt like I'd wasted four years of my life. And any like any young person, you're like, oh, I'm going to change the world. I got to do all this stuff. And what's that old saying like? Uh, like knowledge is wasted on the youth or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. that, that old saying, I feel like I had all this energy, but I didn't have the knowledge that I wanted. Um, but I wanted to make a change, and I knew that. And I remember my mom was going to start doing this herbalism program. She's like, I met this lady at the farmer's market. She's into herbs, and I think it would be really cool if you did a program. And I remember I just got out of college. I was working, um, and I was like, nah, you know, I think I need a certification. And <laughs> that piece of paper yeah, does it all. <laughs> that uh, was not the right direction. Um, so I ended up calling her and I said, hey, you know, like, what does this offer me as far as like a professional credential? And she, she was like, well, you know, not too much, but I think you should do it anyway. And so I went out and, you know, I'd like to say I fell in love with it right away. But I mean, it intrigued me. And I think there's a lot of things in this world like, I think we want to romanticize it and say, hey, this is like the thing, it's your passion, boom, right off the bat. It's not always like that. I think sometimes you need to come into it, and there's something to be said about like perfecting a skill. And, you know, I think that's what, like, in the long run, we get a lot of benefits in life the longer we stick with the craft and try to perfect it mm-hmm. and really give into it. And I think herbalism was something that intrigued me. I didn't love it. You know, I was very content as a youth sitting and playing video games and being sedentary and to be outside and be around the hot bugs and all that kind of stuff was not always the most appealing but I think it's funny knowing you now I'm like oh wow <laughs> like you like live with the bugs I yeah. know yeah um sometimes I swear at them but you know it's a whole nother thing um but no it, it was it was a learning process and I think I didn't really fall in love with it until I was in New York and I kind of fell in love with it because you could travel and I saw my second teacher, Seven Song, as this guy that I got to travel around the United States. He was working with this clinic. He was obviously helping people, which I knew was important to me, um, to help people. And I think I was naive to the world, and I wanted to travel it and see things and understand it. And I saw herbalism as a way to do that. And it kind of killed two birds with one stone. Nice. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of been the process of, I guess, gathering herbal knowledge. Mm-hmm. and. It's still always a, a learning process. I don't know every plant that's out there, unfortunately. Um, but maybe one day, you know, I hope to have quite a bit more um, under my belt still. Yeah, God's made a lot of plants. Yeah, Keep you busy. You don't want to get bored. That's right. So it said Seven Song, right? That's yes. his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were just out in North Carolina, right? I was. And he was out there too? He was, yep. So you want to share? I know you and Karen went out there. We I'm, did. I'm jealous I didn't get a go, so <laughs> fill us all in. <laughs> so if you guys haven't heard the episode with Karen Burr and I, um, she's a, another local herbalist, esthetician, and health coach. And we spend a lot of time together. She's like my sister. Um, and so we took a little road trip out to uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains out in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, it's called the Medicines of the Earth Symposium. And it was kind of focused on mental health was the topic. But they had a lot of things like plant walks. And they had classes on cancer, um, different Appalachian medicine, um, drug addiction and rehabilitation. So a lot of cool topics, you know, that are pretty relevant. Um, But Seven Song was out there. I took a class with him the first day, and he took us around um, that area and showed us kind of some different plants. And it was great to see him again. You know, it's been a couple years since I've seen him. Um, 
and it just always amazes me like his depth of knowledge on plants and his like he's mostly a botanist you know and he can just get down to the nitty-gritty of why a plant's a plant and it's in a certain family because it has these characteristics um but there's a lot of great teachers at that conference yeah you so you touched on uh you mentioned the cancer part yeah so i know that's kind of a area of focus i don't know if there's reason that did you get pulled into that too or is there you know yeah it's it's weird i think i just I gravitate to what I feel like a large amount of people are affected by, like hormones and cancer interest me a lot. Mm-hmm. Not that other things don't as much, but those things really drive me. And I've written two papers for you know, school on them now. Um, I just finished my master's thesis on leukemia and herbal interventions for that. And I just think whenever there's something that's affecting a large group of people, we really need to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. And I think we see that with like cancer you know it's not this disease that we think it is it's really our body's trying to save itself mm-hmm. and we need to ask ourselves why do we need saving what's going on yeah and if you look at the i'm gonna have to choose my words wisely here um the cancer industry let's yeah. say that the cancer industry of how it's presented what it you know i've never been diagnosed so i can't ever say like i know what it's like to live in one of those shoes but i i mean i think everybody knows somebody that's yeah. been affected by cancer and the treatment and the solutions and sometimes the success rates and survival rates obviously vary depending on the types of cancer and i can see you know i can tell with both i've had patients that have been diagnosed friends or family and mm-hmm. there's a very large hesitation for people to leave the modern way of treating cancer because of the huge fear factor of it yeah and like you've said before that there's this magical thing called mushrooms wearing my mushroom shirt (laughs) and you can't see it um there's this cool thing called mushrooms that apparently has quite a big deal to do in the cancer world yeah do you want to share a little bit about it maybe there's some people out there that are listening yeah i think mushrooms are amazing and that's another area that's i think fascinated me for a while are are mushrooms because they have such a capacity to change your ecosystem and you know if you read any books by paul stamets he talks about how mushrooms are this bioremediators of our environment you know they break things down they can remove toxins but I think they also have an important, you know, place in our history. They were like remains of structures um, that people would go into, like I guess like meeting areas um, that people would meet at, and they're usually philosophers of their times, and they would go and they'd trip on mushrooms. And so, you know, there's been this kind of connection with, I think, deeper insight and in mushrooms um, and that consciousness aspect, but then there's also this like historical usage, like um, the Iceman, that the guy that they found, you know, r- his remains. Mm-hmm. Um, he had two different types of mushrooms on him, and one of them was used probably to start fires in. So they have tinder mushrooms that are even used not only for that, you know, keeping a fire source, but then the other one that he had on him, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, um, was probably used for immune kind of modulation. And, you know, without making any claims to what mushrooms might do for that, you know, I just finished a paper all on this, and it seems like, you know, mushrooms have polysaccharides, the beta-glucans, triterpenes, all these different compounds, and they seem to really influence our immune system. Now, I think we want to always make 
every herb like a pharmaceutical where it has to do something like you know where it's up down you know what it does herbs are kind of this nice middle ground where they're adapting us and finding balance now certain people can't take mushrooms like maybe if you're autoimmune you might have an accumulation of th1 cells which might get overstimulated if you're taking things like mushrooms but you know you can find that out quickly if you take some and you just don't feel good yeah and Um, there's others than just mushrooms too i'm like there's yeah yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not those exactly. But, you know, mushrooms seem to help modulate our immune system by increasing surveillance, um, adapting the cytokines, which are like those chemical messengers mm-hmm. that can stimulate inflammation, um, turn it on or off, um, but also help influence like our white blood cell count, which is another big thing. And so I think, you know, a lot of the studies that we have right now, they're all animal or cell culture studies. We really need like more human studies. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all those studies, they show really good efficacy, and they show good efficacy with chemotherapy drugs that they're doing um, these studies with. And so, you know, I don't want to say that your doctor has to be, like, all on board with it, but they should at least be open to having that conversation with you. And I'd say if they're not, you should probably fire them, <laughs> in yeah. my opinion. I think that goes across the board for anything, not just in cancer treatment, that if you don't have a physician that's willing to at least be open-minded enough to entertain something different in the toolbox, like that's a big red flag. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be mushrooms too. Like in that paper I just wrote, I talked about with leukemia, Mm -hmm. you know, there's other things like turmeric is really great. And turmeric can help when you have like, let's say you have, because you took chemotherapy drugs you have a drug resistance now. Mm-hmm. Um, some studies have shown that turmeric can help with that drug resistance. Um, other herbs like mistletoe has been, have been used, and that helps more with like the fever response. You know, fevers were historically used a lot of times to detoxify us. They're not these bad things per se. It's our body trying to fight something. Mm-hmm. Um, so mistletoe can cause a rapid fever response. Doesn't show the same efficacy as like overcoming drug resistance, but it could still be beneficial. Um, but then astragalus, astragalus is an herb that's used a lot of times in TCM or traditional Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's added a lot of times to soup stocks, especially in like Chinese practices to kind of nourish the body, especially in winter. And it's usually combined with other things like mushrooms or like dong quai, other really nourishing herbs. And it's safe for long-term use in high dosage and can be used um, like if someone takes some chemotherapy drugs and they have leukopenia, low white blood cell count, mm-hmm. they could take something like astragalus to help increase that. But the problem is that, you know, it's kind of like this crosstalk between this industry where that might represent herbs and the allopathic side where, you know, they might be concerned that that might interfere with the chemotherapy. Right. And, you know, with some people, maybe it is an issue, but I think it's worth discussing to see if it could be a good option for them. Well, I feel like that's something, too, that you can, like you said, generally you can kind of tell, like, if you start doing something, and you're running blood work a lot if you're dealing with someone with cancer, like, it's not like you're not checking their markers and you can't tell, like, if their white blood cell counts, you know, down at, like, two or three, they start taking, you know, astragalus or mushrooms or doing some holistic things, it's bringing them up and they're feeling better, like, that's a pretty good indicator, too. Absolutely. And I have to say, like, you talked about astragalus, that um, I'm a huge fan of astragalus, that... So I came across um, some research with it with pediatric allergic asthmatics. Yeah. And I, like, so I had a history of asthma as a child that 
like different things helped throughout the years, but I'd still, you know, once or twice a year, I'd still have to use that darn inhaler. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I came across some research with astragalus. So I was researching with autoimmunity and astragalus and TH1 and can you take this and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, I've taken, done astragalus root like every morning in my tea for a couple years now. Have a, like, great. There's, yeah, no asthma. I don't have any other crazy allergies wow. that people are dealing with now. Like huge difference. Yeah. Um, and like giving it to children. Mm-hmm. Now that I know that it's like fairly safe and lower dose kids that have had deals like dealing with asthma or allergy stuff. Yeah. And you're right. It's a, it's a good one. People should know about or consider still work with somebody that's knowledgeable and being able to use it preferably. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like I have a huge passion for kids and I know a lot of moms that have kids that have allergies and asthma and if it's something as simple as like astragalus root like a plant Mm -hmm. that we have access to that can offer such better results than here take this rescue inhaler or here take antihistamines or here do this that's literally just a band-aid blocking signals from what the body is trying to output or or relay yeah i think there are some great herbs that have shown efficacy with allergies and I think it's by modulating our immune response, you know, that TH1, TH2 balance. Mm-hmm. And astragalus, I think, definitely does influence that. Um, I've had a lot of people tell me that stinging nettle has really helped their allergies. That's more influencing the mast cells. So a lot of people say, like, they get itching underneath the eyes. Mm-hmm. That's because your mast cells degranulate and you have that response. It's like mast cell activation syndrome. Yep, yep. So stinging nettle is a... It's a good one to think about that. Goldenrod, you also think about goldenrod is mm-hmm. another one. Um, I make an allergy tea blend that's got both of those in there with some mint, too, so it doesn't taste horrible. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think a lot of people have said that allergies are a big thing that herbalism has influenced and made better. Yeah. So, like, before I forget, we should go down this route that tell me about your, you've been making stuff. It's Heartwood, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Heartwood Herbals. So, yeah, I, I named it Heartwood, um, kind of a dedication to my great-grandmother. And yeah, it's it's all herbs that I gather here in the surrounding Midwest. I go out, I travel too now. Um, I kind of have been, my always my goal is like, how do I travel and do what I love? And I kind of talked about that with Seven Song, like he was traveling, doing all those things, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. You're living your dream. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> Hopefully I can keep doing it more and more of the hours of the day. Um, that's more of what I'm spending my time doing. Um, but I've traveled most of the Midwest, getting most of the herbs that are used. Um, Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina, those are usually the farther away. New York for some of them. Um, and yeah, they're all wild crafted. Nothing's, you know, from a company or anything like that. It's all things that I find growing in the woods. And, you know, I, I love doing that because like we were talking about mushrooms, like I have this special relationship with Rishi, um, which a lot of people know is like Anaderma or Lingzi in Chinese medicine. And it's used a lot of times because someone might need immune help or they might need something that calms them. Rishi's very calming to us, mm-hmm. which is great for people like me who are type A and get stressed <laughs> about crossing off their to-do list. Um, so that's great. And then also it's shown influence on nitric oxide. And so maybe it's helpful for cardiovascular because it relaxes us, but maybe it also helps dilate our blood vessels. Like things like high blood pressure. Yeah. Like everything you're saying, that's what would alert me as a clinician. Yes, high yes, exactly. Pressure. Um, so I think that, you know, if someone's maybe struggling with cardiovascular or maybe they also need liver because it's a bitter herb. Mm-hmm. When we think bitters, we think liver. Um, so they struggle with cardiovascular, need liver support, and they also have a compromised immune system. Rishi could be a good one. And when I was getting into herbalism, I'd travel around and try to find these things. 
And I remember Rishi was the one thing that kind of stalked me. <laughs> it was like the other way around. <laughs> and I remember being in like the um, National Forest out in North Carolina um, near Joe Hollis's place. He's a wonderful herbalist um, and grower out in um, North Carolina. And he's one of the guys I was at the, the conference as well, selling his medicinal plants. And in those woods, I found, um, it's called Ganoderma suge. It's a type of reishi that grows on hemlocks. And it's amazing when you see it because it looks almost fake. It's like shiny and glossy. And you're like, there's no way that God created this plant that looks just like this. You know, it's just so amazing when you see it. Um, but I remember coming back and like I'd be walking down the street and like next to a fire hydrant there, it's growing out of the middle of someone's yard. And so like I wouldn't even be like looking for it. Um, and it's just all over the place wherever I'd go. And I think it like that has something to do with the plants that we need come into our life at certain times, mm-hmm. and we just got to pay attention for it. And you know, I grew up um, being sick a lot, but also playing hooky a lot <laughs> from school. Um, Convenient, I know. <laughs> but you know, I think I mean immunity was something I struggled with, and so as soon as I added in mushrooms, that's something that I didn't really struggle with anymore. That's awesome. I love it. What if you don't mind sharing, like? What, as a childhood, what did you struggle with? Yeah, so I've always had like sore throats as a big thing. And you know, if you wanted to go like energetically with that, that could be something with like speaking, you know, into the world and stuff like that. And that's, you know, we all struggle with different things. That's something I've definitely struggled with. Um, but I think we also have areas of weakness. And so I remember as a kid getting like, you know, strep throat a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, did you take antibiotics? So luckily I had a mom who was more alternatively based. And Good she, job, Mom. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> so I think I've only did them once. That was the only time I did them. I, I had a pretty bad one at one point, but we always tried to do it alternatively. And if I did take it that one time, <clears throat> excuse me, we took a probiotic right afterwards. Um, so, you know, now if I get a sore throat, I know I can take things like maybe like mucilaginous herbs, like marshmallow, mm-hmm. um, or even, you know, slippery elm is one that we don't want to overuse because it's endangered. So marshmallow is the one I tend to use a little bit more for that. Um, but even propolis has been a big thing that I keep around that kind of coats the back of the throat. It's, you know, antimicrobial, immune stimulating. So it's been helpful to have that on hand. And propolis comes from bees, right? It does. So with bees. Would you share with us more about what the propolis is? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of what bees use to protect their hive and repair it. So it's kind of like that knitting together. Um, and so when you think about that repair, I think it's repairing us. It makes sense. Cut yeah. your throat. So, you know, if you can, try to find, like, a local beekeeper. I get mine from Eagle Creek Apiary. Nice. He's been generous enough to gift me some of that. And, you know, you can make your own tinctures, which is what I do out of it. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I've done for my business. When I make the tinctures, I try to find local people that might supply things if I'm not getting them myself. Yeah. And so he's given me propolis before, and you just got to use a high-proof alcohol, and you can make your own propolis tinctures. Very cool. Yeah, local honey. That's a big one. I know Georgetown is good about yeah. trying to source and carry things that are actually local. Yeah. Um, oh man, I did hear recently that there's a company, a popular company here in Indiana that people are thinking that it's coming from local that I found out like they actually might be collecting from yeah. outside of Indiana, but the label says local, yeah. Local, which is man sketchy. So yeah, I'm like, if you can find somebody, like I've always used um, Hardy's Honey here. Like yeah. I've known him for a while and they've carried at Georgetown and it's in their bulk bins and so yeah not to get on a honey tangent but that's a good one people like a lot of people maybe aren't familiar with that 
honey's not just honey. No. And, and then even like at the end, of, yeah, like high fructose corn. Don't yep. they like will feed the bees at the end of the season with? Yeah, or just cut their product with it too. You know. <sighs> Sketchy. Yep. Um, man, you said something else that I was like, don't forget. So I might come back to that. <laughs> um, I know. I feel like we can go in a lot of different directions. <laughs> I know. That's red ball squirrel. My head is a spider web here. Um, well, I know. Yeah. So this, I know you were really excited about the symposium that you guys just went to. Um, yeah. And you had mentioned the whole, um, with it being with mental health and addiction. Yes. So that's, a. I feel like, a, a good area that we might be able to rabbit hole down a minute if you'd like. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> You know, I think um, addiction is something that is really important to address, and especially pain, too, because, you know, mental health and pain are both things that are kind of subjective. You know, I can't tell you how much pain you're in. I can't tell you how depressed you might be, right. and that we're all different, and mindset has a lot to do with that. And mindset can be something that's been largely shaped by, if you know, if we think we have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. It can be largely based on our own upbringing. And so I think there needs to be kind of this awareness around helping people with that and really having conversations with them like, hey, you know, today, how did you feel? What kind of emotions did you feel? If we got like an emotion wheel out, what were the things that you went through? Um, But if someone is struggling with those things, you know, emotional dysfunction or addiction, the first thing I think that needs to be done is they need to get help, like professional help. And, you know, as an herbalist, I don't always feel, like, fully qualified to do that. Mm-hmm. Especially um, when I was out in North Carolina at this symposium, there was a great presenter. Her name was Jen Stobel. She was a, se- a seven-song student as well. And she talked a lot about, like, you know, if you go through alcohol withdrawal um, or breaking that addictive cycle, you know, there's people that have died from that. And the detox from that is really, really harsh. Um, there's a lot of other things too. You want someone that's done that before. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, you know, you can't white knuckle that per se. You need someone to kind of walk you through that process. But, you know, as an herbalist, you know, I think it's, we have a role in maybe being part of that process with someone that's been well-trained could be something that would be interesting. And I've personally had a lot of people approach me, not as much as on the mental health side, Although I have had people like, you know, that might come in there, they're more suicidal in mm-hmm. tendencies and we've had those conversations, but they a lot of times have a lot of pain and they're like people who are coming off of opioids or on opioids and it's hard because they want something that's an alternative because they're having all these side effects, they're in pain, it's not working because maybe they get resistance to it and a lot of times they turn to, you know, other things to, you know, dose that or make the pain go away. But, you know, Jen presented a lot of great herbs that could help and also, you know, vitamins. And so, you know, she talked a lot about, you know, having things on hand beforehand. and Like before there's a big problem. Yeah. So, like, you know, there's different stages. Like I might be a, um, an alcoholic and I've always talked about that I'm going to quit. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's kind of like that preparation phase. Maybe I'm like thinking about it occasionally, but I'm not doing it. And then there's the actual phase where you're starting to make some changes. You're preparing for that. Um, I'm not doing justice. There's probably a better terminology for those different phases. If you're a mental health practitioner in the area, please contact yeah, no, us. Please critique me because <laughs> I'm not doing it right. But, you know, you're thinking about it, and then there's a process of actively changing, and then you have maintenance. And the maintenance part's hard because it's like a daily battle of trying to make sure that we're not slipping back into those bad habits. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting things on hand beforehand, it's like some herbs could be really helpful. 
And Jen talked a lot about like having different formulas put together. Some of them might include things like California poppy, if you need some more sedation at night, um, if you're in pain. Um, other things like blue vervain, which I mentioned earlier, like I'm type A, like that helps me a lot. Um, it can kind of help settle the nerves a little bit, um, as well as other things like skullcap maybe, more sedating, kava kava, if they don't mind that sedation in their body or their tongue going slightly numb. Oh, wow. So those could be you know, alternatives to help them through that. Maybe think about other things like magnesium, if they get really fidgety and they're going to have a lot of times nutrient depletions from abusing alcohol or other drugs. Right. Um, and even B vitamins, because we all know about, you know, there's genetic variance that affects B vitamins, and as well as the B vitamins might help calm the nerves as well when they're going through that. I feel like B vitamins are almost associated with everything. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're super big in liver and detoxification, and they're yep. big on neurological support and gut repair and... Everything, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I my favorite way to get B vitamins, I'm sure you might also share yours as well, but, like, it's hard for people to take... But organ meats are really high in B vitamins. Yeah. But if How I want to do that. Do you just eat it? <laughs> do I just eat it? So I cook it up, and then I do have a little bit in my fridge, and I'll eat it. Nice. Um, a lot of people that I work with don't want to do that, mm -hmm. so I always recommend bee pollen to them, which is a high B vitamin nice. kind of thing. I didn't know that. See, look at you teaching wisdom. <laughs> well, I like, to, I like to go to the food source first. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are some great companies that make some B vitamins that aren't filled with things. Mm -hmm. You know, we were just talking about like there is an industry around supplements and herbs mm -hmm. just because, you know, and you've mentioned this with cancer too, it's kind of a marketing mm -hmm. thing. There's a lot of things that are marketing and it, in the supplement industry, you've got to figure out who's on your side and who's not. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a lot more on the side that's not. And you have to do a lot of homework to figure out who is, but there are some good companies that make B complexes mm -hmm. that could be great. Yeah. Yeah, we, um, I think you showed me that diagram that showed mm. <laughs> the dreadful, like the, the companies that are owned by bigger companies. And yeah. how there's just, I don't know how many there were on there, what, like six or eight companies that own quite a bit of the marketplace when it comes to supplements, vitamins, and. Yeah, like Clorox owns a bunch, Nestle owns a bunch. Which is like, I mean, if I think of health and nutrition and supplementation and things like that, like Clorox probably would not be at the top of my, like, I should contact Clorox to find no. out what kind of supplements I should take. So it's, and there's even some, I mean, so there's retail lines that you can purchase in stores and then there's like professional lines that you can only get from practitioners. And there's some of both on that list. Like it's yeah. not just retail shelves, like there's professional line products that are owned by these big companies too yeah and yeah it's it's hard because a lot of people want a solution right now and they want it to be in a bottle and they can just buy it and it fixes things yeah but that's not how things work and we almost have to fall in love with the process mm. and that's the process of struggle and we've all been there you know i wasn't like this herbalist that you know isn't all this um functional medicine and well-being stuff i wasn't that you know, I think I had a family that was interested in that. Like, you probably have that, you know, feeling too. Mm -hmm. But we didn't start just like that. Yeah. And it's a growing process, and I'm still changing the way I view things. And, you know, when you have a company, the more hands that are involved, the more you have to really be sure that everyone along that line has the same vision that you do. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite books is The Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. 
and it's the story of this guy. He's probably the most, you can make an argument, he's probably the most recent philosopher in time. And he thought, kind of not to ruin the book for anyone that wants to read it, <laughs> but he, he really thinks that quality is a defining characteristic of how we perceive things. And so, you know, like, if I view, you know, if I go out in the woods and I see a mushroom like Rishi growing there, to someone, it might just be a mushroom. And it doesn't really mean much. But to me, you know, it's a form of medicine that can help heal me, my community. It's remediating the environment. It means a lot to me. Mm -hmm. So that mushroom has quality. Same thing if I go out and I, you know, do a workout. Does that have a quality to my life, to influence my life? Is what I'm doing influencing others? And so when we have this bigger, bigger company that just keeps expanding and you bring people in, do they share that same vision of quality that you do? And at some level, you have to ask yourself, is the vision that I had out the same thing that we started with? And I know some companies that struggle with like, hey, I'm still doing my messages, but the industry I'm in is forcing me to change. Mm -hmm. And so now I have to make sacrifices. And that's kind of like, I think, you know, they always say like, if you're in the game long enough, you see yourself become the villain. Mm -hmm. I've always wondered that about that too, because, you know, despite, I feel like I have a more positive demeanor, there are things that irk me. And I tend to also gravitate towards like that, what's the dark side of this? And like sometimes, you know, a little bit of cynicism in a way. Um, I try not to live in it, but I think it's good to Realize contemplate it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I think we have to ask ourselves when we have these big companies, what's the quality? And what what's the impression that we want to have? Yeah. What their intention is and what their, are their values aligning up with even their marketing? Yeah. <laughs> like, does everything actually line up? I know, you know, with everything you're talking about, it speaks heavily here, like at Georgetown Market, that, I mean, it's no secret that gas prices are insanely high. Yeah. And we have problems in our world today that really need to be addressed. And it's hard to find good help and employees and so from a business aspect you know you've got to decide you know what they keep raising the prices of gas and you keep raising the prices of food well naturally like the prices of organic produce are going up yeah you know so at some point you have to decide like you know here my brother andrew is the owner of the store and he's like you know well i mean naturally we're kind of at that point they're raising everything so yeah we can't sustain here as a business mm-hmm unless we go one of two ways like do we forfeit our values and our quality and say well you know we're gonna keep our prices competitive and make sure that you know we can serve you know seven dollar juices to people Mm -hmm. but unfortunately like it's just not going to be the same quality anymore or do you stick to your values take on that quality seriously and say like you know what like we're not sacrificing we're going to stick to the quality like georgetown has always stood for like the highest that we can possibly offer we will i know things change like before they're like oh you can never you know hurt taking b vitamins they're you know water soluble and Mm -hmm. gotta remember telling people that and then later i'm like oh (laughs) i mean really you can yeah yeah. so i mean there is information that comes out that obviously changes but that whole like quality factor of things like you're right like are you going to be one that sacrifices? Are you going to be one that stands up and stays with the quality and stays with the industry? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I think, I think there's like different types of people. There's people that like, if a hard time comes up, like, you know, if you were faced with the apocalypse, you know, some people are like, no, I'm done. Like this comes, if we're done, <laughs> like, like bail out of this thing. I don't want to be around to see this. Mm-hmm. And there's people that are like, no, let's go through that. Mm-hmm. Let's come out the other side and see what happens. Yeah. And I think when you have, 
that butting up against your morals and your values, it's really important to have those laid out for one, but then just knowing, you know, what kind of person like that are you? And there's not a right or wrong with that. You know, if things get hard, there is no shame in sometimes, you know, going the other way. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I want to feel like at the end of the day that my message and what I'm trying to do with people is helping rather than hurting them. And I think if you ask yourself like, hey, did I make a difference today? And it's positive. Yeah. And you can look in the mirror and say, yeah, then you're on the good side. Yeah, that's a great question that I know there are some great people that they'll, that's how they live their day at the end of the day. Yeah. Did I help? Did I help someone? Did I leave the world a better place than how I woke up and found it this morning? Like, that's huge. Yeah. I can't remember who said it, but I think so. I heard someone say recently, like, at least once a day, you should do something for someone that, like, they couldn't thank you enough for. You know, and I think that's something that's, like, really important. You know, if you change someone that profoundly once a day, that's pretty impactful. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so I don't think we have to always be, like, these huge, grandiose things. Like, I have to be the best at, you know, X, Y, or Z. But if you make little differences every day, you know, it's like that slow process that we don't like, like that slow chipping away Mm -hmm. that makes the biggest change rather than these big grandiose gestures. Yeah, absolutely. Like you've said a few times as far as the whole enjoying the journey and being a part of the process, like that is what it's all about. And there's no, I mean, I call it the easy button Mm -hmm. that, I mean, you might get a quick fix and you might, I mean, this can go into addiction and this and also go into like health and supplements that, you know, you might feel better, but ultimately if you're not living out what the lesson is for you in that circumstance, like you're missing a huge part of it, you're probably going to full circle it back in again and yeah. You're going to have to learn it at some point, but enjoying that whole journey of things. Yeah. You know, if I think if I had to change one thing when, like, someone comes and talks to me, it'd be like, please don't think that you can go buy something that will fix you. It's not out there. Like, invest in yourself and, like, start changing your own life, and that will be the biggest change. Like, I tell people all the time, like, please go eat good things because it doesn't matter if I give you a good supplement it's not going to make a difference if you're going to White Castle right when you're done talking to me. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it isn't fast. It's it's a slow process. And, you know, the more we struggle with it, I think the quicker and easier the pain is with it. Yeah. Yeah, I know we've kind of harped on McDonald's and White Castle yeah. and no <laughs> offense, but kind of. Um, I'm like, we're going to travel down this just for a second because, yeah. again, I know there's um, – this isn't – readily publicized available information that you're going to find on tv and commercials because again it's all about the marketing Mm -hmm. um but for people that are maybe new and are slowly stepping into kind of the health industry of things if they are you know i know sometimes children that have been raised on certain foods it's very hard to change these eating habits yeah um what would be something that you might share with somebody that is maybe unaware mm-hmm. of the problem with, I would just say, fast food in general? Yeah. And, you know, I've been there myself. I wasn't like, my mom tried to always cook better things for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I remember like when I was a kid, like I'd be with my dad and we'd have like soda pop all the time and hamburgers and popcorn, milkshake, you know, it was all over the place. Yeah. Um, so I was definitely there myself and I grew up on I'm happy meals at McDonald's too. So you turned out okay. I turned out okay. I'm here <laughs> to tell the story, so it's all right. Um, but you just gotta make a choice. And I remember when I was about 20, you know, through my own struggle, my own pain, you know, that drove me to just stop. 
and I didn't do it the way that most people did. I kind of cold turkeyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I knew everything too when I cold turkeyed it. Um, and I had to kind of learn things as I did it. And I'm you know, still tweaking that. But I started just being more conscious like, oh, I'm not going to eat dairy mm-hmm. or I'm not going to eat wheat, you know, and that kind of stuff. I just started with that. And then as I went, adjusted it. Um, you know, I would just say to people like, if you're interested in starting something, but you don't know where to start, you know, maybe seek someone out. Um, you know, like you see clients, I see clients, some of the other practitioners we've interviewed, like they're all sources that you can reach out to. Karen sees people for that all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, reach out to someone if you feel like you're going to really struggle. If you're someone that's like, no, I'm committed. I can go to the grocery, I can go to Georgetown and I can go pick up these things and I'll cook for myself. You know, good, go do that. You know, start shopping on like the exterior of the store. Yeah. Like go to the produce aisle, the bulk bins, and then go out the front door. <laughs> yeah, know? don't hit the middle box section. Yeah, make sure you pay too. But, <laughs> you know, hit the exterior of the store. Avoid the interior where there's like all the sauces and condiments and sweeteners and that kind of stuff because that's when they're going to get into the processed foods. And, you know, you can argue any diet you want, but if someone's eating whole foods in their natural state, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. The What do they call The standard American diet, the sad yeah. diet. Yeah avoiding that is all at all costs well now it's become even just like the global diet because we've you know just gotten everyone on this thing you know you go over to japan and stuff like that they like all the commercial products and the commercial marketing that we were talking about it's all over there now spreading the good no we are good job united (laughs) states um so are there i mean you talked a little bit as far as you've changed in your food habits uh, what are you? What are some things that you do in your lifestyle that you feel are really helpful for you and your well-being? Yeah, um, I should... didn't give them questions ahead of time, so these are like <laughs> pop quiz questions. I know I like it; it makes me kind of think. <laughs> um, no, I, I think it changes a little bit, you know, based on my schedule. You know, lately I've been really more stressed and more occupied with finishing my master's thesis, which I just finished this weekend. Yay. Yes, I know. <laughs> it feels good. Um, but, it, you know, most most days I try to wake up like two hours before I have to be somewhere. So if I have to come into Georgetown or another job or if I have to see a client, you know, if I had to see them at 7 a.m., I'm getting up, you know, two hours before that so that I can, one, you know, get some reading in. Mm-hmm. I want to learn something before I even have to go talk to someone. Um, two... You know, just make sure that I'm in a good state, whether that's um, making sure I get like a morning drink in me. I like to do a lot of different like lattes, like herbal lattes, like matcha lattes, or um, maybe a protein shake in the morning, something. And then maybe either do like a workout or go meditate. Something um, that kind of gets me in my body feeling that. Um, And to-do lists are a big thing. So like I try to write down three things that I want to make sure that no matter what happens today, they get done. Yeah. And, you know, it's it might seem, like, silly to get up two hours before you go see someone, but it's like if I'm going to go interact with someone and they're going to, you know, exchange time with me, because, you know, time is the most valuable resource that we have. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I'm valuing their time and my time also feels respected. And I think it's important to set up your day so that, you feel like you got stuff done before you go even interact. And that being said, too, I think it's important, like, when you schedule your time, too, being really intentional. So I always try to be like, all right, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here on time. 
I make sure I don't cancel it and stuff like that because, you know, like I said, time is important and we want to make sure that we're dedicating our time towards something that we feel is worthy. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody that knows me, I'm often late. <laughs> if I'm going somewhere for patience, I'm like, I cannot be late. I don't want them waiting on me. But um, so I appreciate that. And that speaks heavily to me yeah. <laughs> where I need to work too. We all have things. <laughs> um, none of us are perfect, right? We're nope. all a work in progress. Nope. Uh, yeah, on your whole get up two hours early thing, like I'm kind of on the same boat as you as far as if I don't, this has been recommendations I've had for new moms too, or I mean, experienced moms that have been living it for years that are still feel like sometimes you just wake up and you feel like you're drowning. Yeah. Um, so I've been there. I was there for years. And I'd say the biggest thing that made a very big difference was making sure like I got up. Mm -hmm. at least two hours earlier yeah. than my kids did. So I had one peace and quiet for a while. Yeah. I could sit and drink my morning tea, Yeah, sit on the porch and read a book. Like those things work out if I can actually make it happen. Yeah. Um, but you'd be surprised. Like, I mean, it, like you said, it doesn't maybe sound like earth shattering, like get up two hours early, but yeah. those things in that morning routine, like make such a huge difference. And it helped me tremendously of not feeling like I'm this drowning chaotic crazy mom yeah well i think it, we underestimate like what just even like a little bit of time can do yeah. you know i think we want to think oh i have to clear all this time out to make this change but you know, if you just do something for 10 minutes a day you know that can make a big change and if you read a book for just a little bit um not only are you learning but like you're spending time on you yeah and you know we gotta we gotta sometimes just protect the things that want to steal time from us and that could be you know bad relationships that could be social media that can be a number of different things um i know i struggle with that i sometimes give my time and energy to things that don't serve me back and that's probably pretty stereotypical like the wounded healer kind of vibe that most people <laughs> could maybe pick up but it's like you gotta sometimes be like what am i giving my energy to that's not rewarding me and cutting those out and there's a lot of them. Society loves to market them to us. Uh -huh. um, so I would say, you know, giving yourself time to invest in yourself in that window and then identifying those things that are still in your time would be really important. Yeah. Yeah. There's, like you said, there's uh, billions and billions of dollars that go into the industries of like how they can keep people tied to phones and screens. And yeah. like, it's a, like, it's, it's a thing. Yes. <laughs> like they know how to do it and they're very good at it. That's why I'm not good with social media. Yeah. <laughs> Was a good and thing not to be good with. Yeah, I was like, I don't want to get on there. I already feel like I don't have enough time, so I feel like that steals a lot of it. Yeah, well, I don't think we know, like, the full implications of what this might be. Like, I was a kid of the 90s, and so, like, even when I was a kid, like, that wasn't around. And, you know, we went outside and played a little bit and stuff like that. I see, like, I have family members that are, you know, born in the 2000s, so then they were born with this technology, you know, I'm so grateful that I was like a freshman, I think, in high school before I ever got a phone. Yeah. And it's because my mom had to pick me up from tennis practice. Yep. And she kind of <laughs> needed to know where I was going to be at. Um, and it was a flip phone. Yeah. Which, you know, nowadays, I think if you're going to use your phone, is basically <laughs> the best usage of it is to text or call someone. Um, I do love Instagram, you know, for things like learning. I do learn on Instagram quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but you can definitely invest too much time in those. And, I think if they could be reformatted so that like you're on Instagram for 30 minutes, it shuts it down or something like that. Right. That could be, you know, a good thing because it's a tool. And I love that I can go on, you know, a website and read about stuff. I love that. But 
do I want to waste my whole day doing that? Probably not. So probably something in it needs to be developed so that there's a limit on what it, we can do. Parental control yourself. That's right. <laughs> be your own Treat, parent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. I um, All this makes me think about, I've been reading um, a book called Wild and Free, which is geared towards, like, um, I forget the sub, subtitle of it. It's like, you know, reclaiming the wonder in your child's education. Okay. So it's basically about, like, keeping childhood alive for your kids as long as possible. Oh, and cool. So talking about how important it is to, like, like you said, you grew up and you're actually allowed to, like, play outside. Yeah. You know, I was a kid in, like, 80s and 90s. And, like, I mean, I told my dad the other day, I'm like, I can remember going over to our neighbor's barn. Like, no one had a clue where I was. <laughs> I'm sure it was totally safe. <laughs> just walking around the barn, looking at bats, like, just exploring, wow. beating on trees. Like, I knew how to build a fort. Like, I mean, I've apologized to them after. But, um, but yeah, just that getting outside and being able to be in nature. I think you had said, you know, on our interview that we did that like the average person gets like what 30 minutes outside. Yeah. Or something it's something crazy small. Ridiculous. Yeah. In this book they'd said like, you know, it's not a luxury like it should be like it's an absolute requirement yeah. of life is that we should actually be like outside in nature. And the whole um foraging thing like I know you're you and Karen do quite a bit of foraging around here. Um, where are some of your guys' favorite outside places to go, or just yours? Oh. <laughs> I guess this is for you. Karen can chime in later. I know, yeah. <laughs> um, I can probably share some of hers, too, because we <laughs> spent a lot of time open together. Um, you know, we visit a lot of different parks, um, and we just kind of, you know, you just kind of start walking around. And I think we have an idea when we go to those parks, like, oh, maybe I'm looking for this plant or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it kind of just turns into this cool adventure because you never know what's growing and, you know, what might pop up. So we'll go to different state parks, you know, around Indiana um, to look for different herbs. And it might just depend on where we, what we might need that day or what we're feeling or, you know, if we run out of time, <laughs> go to a park that's closer by. Um, but yeah, I just say wherever is your happy spot. You know, I've been to parks that are like huge and ginormous and stuff like that, and you can get lost for hours. But I've also just been to like local parks that are in my neighborhood and just walked around them and been like, wow, you know, that was really really great just to take a, like a little walk because I've been stressed all day mm -hmm. and that meant a lot to me to get out um, so I would just encourage people find a park that's near you and just start like looking for things that might be growing by if you're interested in foraging yeah do we have any foraging groups around here kind of you if know not <laughs> <laughs> start one Aaron's heading one up <laughs> you know I've, I think I've made some like half efforts to get things going like that there are communities that are kind of interesting like i know on instagram i'll see people like on um, wild food groups and stuff like that and there's people that do like mushroom walks or plant walks mm -hmm. um there are different herbalists here in town um, i know greg monzel has done different plant walks yeah and um yeah i think that's something that's kind of coming to indiana you know if people are interested in that i definitely maybe if they want to reach out to me <laughs> it could be the kick in the butt i finally need to kind of yeah. get that going I know next month at Georgetown, we are going to do a plant walk um, around Eagle Creek. So if people are interested in that, I don't know when this is going to come out, but that will be um, probably for July, I'm thinking. Oh, we got to launch soon then. I know. <laughs> so, you know, if they don't make it for that, you know, that's something that I definitely would be interested in doing with people. Um, but yeah, just start. There's a lot of great books, too. There's a forager I've had the pleasure of um, taking some classes with named Sam Thayer. Yeah, he's out in Wisconsin. He's wrote, um, I think it's three books now, on foraging, and I consider him to be probably one of the best foragers in the United States, if not the world. 
Um, I, if you don't know who Sam Thayer is, I would definitely check him out. Um, you can pick up his books. Um, they're in a lot of different stores. Um, and he lays out practical guides to start foraging, you know, common look-like plants, traditional uses of how he cooks plants mm-hmm. um, or berries or roots or whatever he's foraging. Um, and he does it kind of in a fun, cheeky manner, too, as he writes. I like reading him and then also spending time with him. Nice. Yeah, Karen, actually, it might have been yesterday, it said something like, I'm like, I wish I knew as much about plants as you. And she's like, I don't know it all. Even Sam Thayer doesn't know it all. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Thayer. Yeah, I mean, we're all learning. Um, there, I don't know how many species there are on the world, but, like, I think we only know, like, um, 15% of all the mushrooms that are out there. That's so crazy. So, like, even if you're, like, an expert in this field right now, like, I can't imagine, like, what, like, 50 years from now they're going to know, you know? And that's yeah. the beautiful thing about the work that we do today. It's kind of like setting up a lineage. And I think that's what, like, anything you do, like, you have to ask yourself, am I setting up success for the generations to come to continue what I'm doing or to prosper from my efforts? Yeah, like, what kind of legacy do you want to leave after you're not here? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I am interested, though, you mentioned that book that you're reading and kind yeah. of trying to nourish that childlike behavior. What are some things that you found helpful from that? Wait, I'm the interviewer. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm flipping it. No, yeah, that's fine. Um, well, there are times, like, so anybody that <clears throat> has homeschooled, you'll find there's times where it becomes more of a struggle to get your kids to look at workbooks and the standard schooling stuff that you might think. So the biggest takeaway that I initially took from it is like, it's okay if you need to put down like pens and paper and books and inside Mm. and just, or take the stuff outside that with kids, like as soon as you put them outside, like there's no judgment in nature. Like there's no, I mean, sometimes there's rush, but like everything's just much more serene Mm -hmm. and calm. And if they hear birds in the background, rather than like chairs moving around or they can get up and like chase a butterfly if they want to, the ability for kids to learn when they're outside is like exponentially better. Yeah. Um, and I'll say this with our, we've got, um, a mom in our homeschool who's like just a rock star leader that wants to like, really pull other people in yeah um so she's actually started a wild free group here oh, cool. um, i don't think it's necessarily like open to everyone but i'm sure she would like help others start one in their area she's yeah. keeping it fairly small for us but um being able so she's good about getting our kids together and going to like there's a, we call it dirt pile park there's a park in lebanon doesn't have bathrooms literally all has trees and grass they have picnic benches now that she's put them in there and our kids would play for like eight hours, like probably the whole night if we let them <laughs> all like working together in dirt, doing nothing like significant that it may look like, mm-hmm. but the amount of like connections and the things that they're building and relationships and problem solving and like all these like lifelong skills that would be like substantial for a good human being to have. Yeah. They're getting that outside of nature, very unstructured type playing stuff yeah um so it's not really like an unschooling type book that's like don't do anything yeah um but just huge and you kind of said this too of you know the um her name's ansley ansley armit i think is the writer and she grew up in new york and she's like you know i found a rock there was like this big rock close to her home she's like i would go there to escape like that was my Mm. nature wow literally just sat on a rock and how like that's such a staple in her childhood of how much she can remember going to that rock and like contemplating things or writing stuff. And all it was was a rock. 
Yeah. But just then being out in nature and how much of a connection it creates, not only with other people that you're there with, but creating that connection with like mother nature and earth yeah. and God and everything that's been created there. Well, I, that's something I'd love to talk to you more about sometime is because like I know as I get older and I think about, well, if I have kids one day, you know, and you put them to maybe homeschooling, you know, and I, not that I have anything against how I was raised with the education system, you know, I, I got what I got, you know, but I don't know if that's an option I always want for my kids, just because I see things in the education system I don't always agree with. Right. And so I think there's still that anxiety, though, about, you know, when you unplug from the mainstream, you know, what's the support underneath that? And I think you worry about, like, oh, will they be able to have a job? Will they turn out okay? Is their right. education? Can they get to college if they need to? Yeah, you know, those things. Because, you know, I want them to have a good success. Right. Um, and I, we talked about that lineage. And so I think I noticed that myself, like that own anxiety about as I, you know, live a certain life, and that might become a possibility of having to unschool, like you kind of said, mm-hmm. you know, how do you still support them without the support of society? Well, that's, I've, I've, we've um, had this question posted multiple times, like in our mom's group and things like that, and posed to, for new moms, you know, what recommendations would you offer to people that are considering homeschooling? And the number one thing that everybody always puts out there is like, you need to find community. Yeah. So finding other people that are living life the same way, like it would, I don't, I probably wouldn't still be homeschooling if I wouldn't have found this group. Well. And we're blessed to have a neighbor that lives like literally 60 seconds down the road that's got three kids and lives like very similar the way that we do. And Mm -hmm. so having friends and support there, because every single mom in our group at some point, you're like, oh, my God, I feel like an epic failure. Mm -hmm. Like, this is awful. I feel like I'm terrible. And it can be very easy with everything you're inundated with in society of how the normal way should be and what kids should be doing. And yeah they should get up and they should eat this and they should go to bed here and they should go to, they should sit here and they get 30 minutes for this and everything's super structured. Yeah. And I get some kids need more structure, but we've, I mean, gosh, you think about how short childhood is Yeah. and being able to like, let them just, I mean, they don't care what time it is. We're like trying to rush out the door, which is sometimes why I'm late. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, chasing butterflies through the yard or I'm going to whack this golf ball with this club that's laying here that we left out yesterday or I've want to ride my bike for 10 more minutes and like yeah. they live 100% like in the moment and then we get older and what's like one of the big mental health things that they're telling us is like be present yeah stop and observe the ladybugs yeah like be more like a kit play yeah so it's like we're so quick to try to like beat it out of them as kids and then we wonder why we're so stressed out and screwed up as adults and yeah. we're like basically trying to revert back to like yeah, tell them to grow again. up. Yeah. yeah. And that's I, a cool thing that I've read with several or figured out with several of the books is they're like child or having children is basically like your opportunity to reclaim your childhood. Yeah. So all the things that like maybe we're screwed up, like all of us are screwed up. Like that's what parents are for, right? <laughs> Give us things to work, <laughs> to work on. on in this yeah. life. Well, It'd I, be boring. I think that's interesting, though, that you said that because I just had recently someone say that to me because I felt that I always needed like a strong male role model in my life. And so I think I've always like in ways sought that out. And I've had people come in, like I've had coaches come in. Um, I had a coach in high school that was really influential and that means to me. But I know like in this conversation I recently had with this guy, you know, he's like, you know, I feel like I'm the personality that you've developed. You were that male figure that you always needed. 
as a kid and I was like man you know that kind of floored me I was like you're right like I am who as a kid I thought would be so cool to be around and I think we try to nurture those wounds that we have and try to fix them and we try to fix them out in different ways you know we can fix them out positively Mm -hmm. like healthy relationships or negatively Mm -hmm. there are unhealthy bad relationships maybe um but you know it is a process and I think we are trying to maybe become what we need as kids yeah what's well, funny is kind of on topic but off topic definitely not on our agenda um not that i had one anyway apparently the agenda at this yes point. <laughs> we're going free flow um but with the whole relationships thing too i um i think it's getting the love you want i'm gonna totally butcher it i can't remember um harville hendrix i think is the author mm. either way so it was recommended by several people um at different times of my life like oh you should read this yeah but the premise of it is kind of same idea of we often so we um initially like you'll be attracted to somebody mm-hmm. you get in a relationship then you get married and then you're kind of like god this person drives me absolutely insane or you don't <laughs> have to get I married for that to happen <laughs> yeah um so it's good about trying to flip it and trying to realize like seeing what again like living through that journey like what lessons do i have to learn in this relationship like clearly there's like stuff to be learned in that relationship some relationships probably should be done some can continue (laughs) on um but they um he basically says or describes how the things that drive you crazy or the big like obstacles or things that are in relationships or maybe like the repeating things is all trying to come back down to helping us heal from our childhood so what things happened in childhood and it's far more complex like I'm butchering it and I apologize (laughs) (laughs) but but it made total sense when I read it as far as like our wounds or our issues or things that we need to heal from and grow from childhood we often are going to find partners or partners in life that are going to help us to get through that and some people are like willing to kind of like put in the work and look at it where others are like everything is always someone else's fault yeah um so i just think it's funny that almost everything comes back down to like fix it not fixing but addressing the stuff from childhood that have screwed us all up i guess yeah well you know it's it's funny i know that i've personally from my own experience been in relationships and like sometimes you're sitting and you're like damn this is a karmic (laughs) i'm in this relationship because of some shit that's like i'm working through and you know it might not feel great in the moment, mm. but you know, I've had some relationships where I'm like, ah, oh, damn, that really sucked. But like a year or two later, I'm like, you know, that sucked, but I probably wouldn't have changed it, you know, and maybe I should have stopped it earlier. Mm. But you know, you work through a lot of stuff and you really think, realize things about it. And you know, I think we're in a culture that promotes like, let me date someone. All right, I just finished them. Let me go find someone else right away. Mm-hmm. And instant gratification, like the pill. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And you know, I think sometimes the more we can delay gratification, mm-hmm. the better it is. And I kind of sit with that, like uncomfortable, like, hey, I'm really like not okay. Mm-hmm. And there's some things from that thing that just happened that hurt my feelings, and I don't want to take that harm and put on someone else. And that's one of the, I think the things I see a lot of times with just talking to friends is like, they'll maybe be in a relationship, but they're having some issues because maybe that person didn't work through something from a past relationship. And now they're trying to work on it with the person they're actually with. Yeah. And it's brought it into the new relationship. Yeah. And they can't fix it because they're not the person that hurt you. And you know, the only person that can fix that is you. Yeah. And then that can play into kids, you know, like if you, 
you know, or working on that kind of stuff in a marriage, you know, you want to try to, you know, not harm the kids as much as you can and try to create an environment that, you know, they don't have to heal as much from. Everyone's got to heal, I think. Yeah. But you're trying to do as least amount of damage as you can. And I think that's just kind of like our, our purpose in the world. Like, how can we leave what we found in a better condition than we found it? Yeah. Um, if not, you know, and just not leave anything like that. That would, ch- you know, change the perspective or shift the perspective of a child so that they could never recover. I mean, you know, I can't think of anything much worse. And unfortunately, there are some things that are coming in a world where, you know, I feel like kids aren't even having a chance. And that's scary. Like, if you're brought into this world and, like, you didn't even have a chance to step up to the, you know, plate and take a swing at things, that's scary to me. And I think we really need to think about that. Can we create a world where kids have a shot at whatever they want to do? Yeah. I'm a big believe in miracles individual, so mm-hmm. I'm going to put out there all the wish sticks. You know, my kids love to like walk around the yard and blow dandelion wish sticks all over. And I'm like, nice. not in my garden. <laughs> but there's actually been multiple times. I don't know why I'm sharing this, but uh, multiple times where I picked up wish sticks with them. And I can say, like, if I, a lot of the wishes I make with those wish sticks, like, I think of kids blowing with those dandelion fluffs mm-hmm. and making wishes for kids that, like, like you said, don't have that opportunity and have been, I don't want to say, you know, dealt a crappy hand per se, because there's reason and symbol, like symbolism, there's, there's always a reason for it there. Yeah. Um, but man, I'm like, I feel like the kids, for some reason, like they for sure pull at me. And when I see like kids that maybe don't have all the opportunities that you might hope that a kid could have, like, it'd be great if as a community, we are yeah. able to pull like resources and opportunities and like so like f- take for instance foraging i'm gonna go back to this you're starting a group <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's been said now. <laughs> it's done but i feel you know f- kids that aren't able to get out and aren't going to have that exposure from their parents like they're not going to have you know herbalist parents that are going to admire and take care of plants and appreciate them or maybe even like recognize that they're a part of the world i feel the more that we can pull together as a community and offer you know maybe some kids really want to like learn how to cook and do things but they're not given that opportunity i think the more we can pull together as a community and hopefully this kind of some of the point of this is connecting people with people yeah and making things bigger and better than just us yeah well i think every single podcast episode we've done so far i think community has been brought up and i think (laughs) it can't be stressed enough i think you're right um we need other people and we do better with other people. You know, regardless of like, if you're like, oh, I'm an introvert, oh, I'm an extrovert, you know, we rely on other people for so much of what's going on. And, you know, with foraging, I think that is such a practical tool for people to have access to. And, you know, you I think... never go hungry. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and you can really empower yourself to have your own medicine, have your own food, and what that means. And I think it'd be great to, like find a way to make that cool for the kids to like, you know, come into. And I, I feel like I grew up having to really accept this part of myself. I'm like, I feel like as a kid, I was interested in nature, but that was kind of like taboo in mm-hmm. a way, like all the woo woo stuff that my parents were kind of into. And then, you know, natural School stuff. probably unindoctrinated that natural. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it, it was kind of like meshing of two different worlds. And I feel like, you know, I've kind of had to unlearn like, all right, I'm all right. I'm okay with myself. And it's okay that I'm this way. And, you know, I think for kids, if they can just be taught, like, at an early age, like, hey, it's okay to be in things that are, like, 
like I remember being being called like you're different or like you're weird or you know you're mm-hmm. not this mainstream thing. And I'm like, thank God I'm not. Yep. Now, but I it's like, <laughs> you know, I think we need to just be like, you know, it's okay to be weird or different and different ex- is good. Yeah, accept those kids and bring them in because that's what we need in this world. We need something that's different. Yeah. You know, I think if you get at the end of the day and like you have been following this path that led you to dysfunction and you stuck to that path gung-ho to ask yourself like at some point like when did I need to do something different and I think we need to be accepting of change accepting of different and not fear it and not label it as bad yeah you've said that a few times as far as like the being able to recognize I don't know if you'd say the dark, the good, the bad, the ugly, like being able to see it and sit in it and be okay with it. Like I definitely, you ask my oldest brother, Brett, who works here too. And he's mentioned a few times as far as me just being like the, I don't want to look at the thunderstorms. I'm just going to look at the rainbows. Yes. That I tend to be the like, let's just ignore the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's a big problem. Like, that's still something that I'm for sure working on. Like, if you ignore it, like, it doesn't go away. Like, that little rain cloud, (laughs) there's a good chance it can follow you. Yeah. And that's, it's uncomfortable and it's hard. And like you're saying, like, finding somebody, again, like, back to that whole support of things is finding people that want support you for being maybe a little bit different. So if there's kids that are listening, like, moms and dads, if you're playing this in the car and kids get to listen to, that... I know school, like, that's the probably the biggest thing. School is a place where I feel like kids can be really mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I feel like that's what happens when you stick a whole bunch of kids the same age, confine them to a classroom, sit them in chairs, like, tell them what they're going to learn and tell them what they're going to do every moment of the day. It's no wonder they have ADHD and all that. Right? We, they need that we have a riddle in deficiency. <laughs> wow. <laughs> they just need more medications here. Um, but, yeah, I'm like, it's... You know, I think there's something to be said, like letting kids work out some of their own problems for sure. But I'm like, they're also, I mean, if you put a whole bunch of like five-year-olds together and you're like, figure it out, guys, like they don't have all the problem solving skills or people skills. Like there's grown up. Take me for instance, like I don't always handle things in the best manner that could have happened. So I feel like school is just such a great place where you throw them all together and can be so damaging and hurtful to kids that the big thing I'd say, like, one, if you're a kid that's listening and, like, you might be slightly weird, like, that's (laughs) good. (laughs) Yeah, like, that's good. I feel like people that are, like, if you're just going to follow the norm, and I tend to be the, like, I just want everybody to like me. Like, I don't want people to hate me. Mm -hmm. But if you sacrifice the qualities that God has instilled in you and that, like you're here for a reason you're to serve a purpose but if all oh, you're just too worried about making sure everybody likes you and trying to fit in like that's not cool either yeah so i think i don't know why i'm talking to kids right now but <laughs> kids i'm like if They're you are listening audience. yeah <laughs> we appeal to all ages here that's right um but yeah embrace embrace the weird <laughs> yeah, i like it <laughs> and if you're one of the mean kids don't be mean there you go sorry okay um well i was like should we start wrapping this up do you have anything else you'd like to share is there anything burning to come out here no i think you know we talked about a lot of great things today and you know if you're trying to take home like what's practical out of all this you know try to think about the quality that you like live your life with if you're gonna go out and you're gonna change your diet you know try to put things in that you know, you think that you deserve, you know, we accept the love that we think we deserve. And so if you think you deserve McDonald's every day, 
you know, maybe you need to think about like what, you know, how do you value yourself? And if you go think about herbal medicine and all that, try to think about supporting quality things. Don't go buy from someone that's just going to be a mass producer. Try to think about how you can support a local person that's maybe working really hard to make herbal blends for someone. Um, and then think about the quality that behind the relationships that you have. You know, am I making a difference? Am I doing something that changes someone in some way profoundly every single day? Or am I just indifferent to the results of my community? And, you know, I think I, I love um, I love the movie Patch Adams. Yeah. Um, and I, I love, I think one of the quotes in there is, the, one of the greatest threats to humanity is indifference. And especially in the medical system, because he plays a doctor mm-hmm. in that movie. And so try to find ways that maybe indifference is not allowed to be in your life. That's a good one. Are you, like, talking to my soul here? Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I know normally you get to be the interviewer and you ask the people if you could recommend three things to someone mm-hmm. to bring them a higher level of being in health. Yeah. Do you have a top three? Man. Um, I would say just start. Don't worry about results. Just start something. Whether it's just like if you're worried about going to the gym, just tie your shoes you don't even have to make it to the gym. Just be like, I tied my sneakers today, mm-hmm. and then tomorrow maybe you tied your shoes, and then you drove down the road, and you made it to the gym. You didn't even work out, but you just made it. Mm-hmm. You know, just do something. It doesn't have to be perfect um, that makes a change in your life in the right direction. So that would be number one. Um, two, you know, it's kind of like I'm probably repeating myself. I just say, like, really separate time for you like and I do it in the morning some people can do it at the night I can't mm-hmm. you know I need to unwind at night um, but if you can do like the first two hours in the day like try to really set up intentions of how you want to lead it try to get something really good in your body whether that's like one of those drinks we we're talking about herbal teas or a protein powder we're gonna have to go over some of those later yes yes some <laughs> of our recipes. recipes yeah <laughs> um, try to get something in you or do something that sets up the day and sets the tone for it um, and then third, I guess, get in nature and, you know, try to maybe start identifying plants or maybe, you know, like you said, with the creativity and being childlike, just go for a walk or try to let your imagination run. Um, and just realize that we're all a product of nature. And when you source things, try to source it from that point, source it from nature, source all your herbs, all your food from that standpoint. Yeah, I do kind of feel like God intended it to be that way. Yeah. The more that man, not men, <laughs> humans yes. interfere with it and get involved in it, usually the usually we don't add a whole bunch of extra benefits to yes. it. So, I'd yeah, I second that for sure. I like it. Yeah. Well, I guess we're going to wrap it up. Cool. I do have to say that we do really want to hear from our community. We want to hear from you. I'd love to find out, you know, what topics interest you, what you love us to dive deeper into. If there are people or practitioners, whether you're one or you see one or you know one, to connect us somehow so we can continue to expand out and ripple to, you know, more and more people and deeper and deeper information. So please, please, please reach out. I think we've got an email, right? We do. 
podcast at georgetownmarket.com. You got it. Yep. I'm sure we'll link to all these wonderful things. We will. And, of course, we want you to, what is it, subscribe and share and look at my social media-ness here. <laughs> <laughs> Smash it or thumbs up it. Or Get in the hands <laughs> of someone that could use it. Yeah, share it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to us. And Aaron, thank you for sharing your time with the, with me and with us. And we look to have some really great episodes to follow. Yes. Thanks to everyone for being here. And thanks, Lauren, for interviewing today. Absolutely. It's awesome. If you're here, thanks for connecting today and listening. If you liked this update or just the discussions that Dr. Lauren and I have on things that we're learning in our life, find relevant let us know if there's guests or episodes that you also really enjoyed and maybe want to see a guest for a second time please let us know also at our email at podcast at georgetownmarket.com we'd be happy to hear from you and it's only through community that we can keep this going and the great sponsorship that we have at georgetown market so we're grateful to all those around us and we'll see you next time peace